And Phil is going to come and speak to us shortly. And before he does, I'm going to read out our passage this evening, which is 1 Peter 1, verses 22 to 2, verse 3. And if you've got a red church Bible, which are dotted around on your tables, it's on page 1,218. So that's 1 Peter 1, 22 to 1 Peter 2 verse 3, and that's on page 1,218 in the Red Church Bibles. So it says this, Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart, for you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. I'm going to pray for Phil as he comes and shares that to us. Our Father in heaven, we pray for Phil now as he comes and speaks. Father, through the opening of your word, may we see more of your glory. And would you speak to us all this evening? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Once more, just for those of you who are interested, I've got a a bit of a tick word, a word tick game Um, If you'd like to follow with me, um, and each time I say those words, look out for the word Warren Gatland, will you? That's quite important. Um, Follow, and each time I say those words, um, do do tick them, and that will help you um, as you listen. So one of the big struggles that first century Christians had was that Christianity was so different from the norm. So, for example, when everyone in the Roman world was required by law to worship Caesar as Lord, most people didn't bat an eyelid, because most people bowed down to a number of gods, which meant all you had to do was add Caesar um, to the list of gods that you worshipped, and it wasn't a big deal. But Christians wouldn't and couldn't do that. Why? Because Jesus is Lord. There are no other lords in the Christian mindset, in the Christian worldview. And it got them into an amazing amount of trouble, and it confused everyone. Well, look, they were saying to their, look, the, the culture was saying to, to, to Christians, come on, look, you're, unless you just go along with it, you're in the most dreadful amount of trouble. 
You'll be dragged off to the Colosseum. You'll be fed to lions. You'll be, you'll be dipped in tar. You will be set alight, alive. Why don't you just do what everybody else does? Why don't you just say, Caesar is Lord like everybody else, and just put him alongside your Jesus? It was one of the reasons why Christians were so marginalized, one of the reasons why they suffered so much. Christians were odd. Christians didn't fit in. Christians were not like normal people. And the thing is, having found themselves being marginalized, it was tempting for Christians and the Christians that Peter was writing to to want to go back to the lifestyle and ways of their secular culture. Those ways were much easier. Those ways were more familiar. Those ways were less costly. Which is why this first section of the book is littered with references to the temptation to go back to the secular world that they lived in. Look at verse 14. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. Chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy, envy and slander of every kind. There is evidence in the book that their desire to go back to their former ways of life was very real. And so real it was that they were beginning, it was beginning to affect the way that they treated one another. And that's where our passage touches relevance for today. Because when we consider how Christians today are increasingly marginalized in our culture, and let's be honest, how often we find ourselves wanting to just fit in and go along with the flow, well, we realize that these verses are not just for first century Christians alone. They're for you and I. Bog-standard, you and I, who just want to fit in and not stick out. And that temptation to go back to our formal way of life is evident everywhere in, in the church too. So many churches today want to drop unpopular doctrines and morals. Doctrines like hell and morals like sexual purity before you're married. It's why many young Christians find themselves living double lives. School life, where you swear, you bully, you joke like everybody else. And church life, where you behave and keep up good appearances. And the question is, how do you fight it? How do you fight it? How do we struggle against the tide of culture and wanting to fit in? Well, in our passage this evening, Peter says to his readers, I understand the strong desires to go back to secular ways that, we, in, that we, we have. I understand that this mindset leads us to want to conform the ways to, to the ways we used to be. I understand the impact of that is, is quite big in the church. But listen, rather than wallow in those desires to go back to a formal way of life, rather than focus on the world, actually what God does is he tells us to fight those desires and fight them with the love of God and allow God's love to define who we are and what we will one day be. It's a powerful statement and we're going to look tonight at two ways in which the love of God defines us. And the first way is Peter commands his readers to love because you are able to love uniquely 
Basically, Peter's point is that the gospel changes us so that we are able to love in a way that is unique to Christianity. Look at verse 22 with me. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. We have to remember that before we were Christians, we could not love God and we could not know the love of God for us. Instead, the truth is we were enemies of God, dead to him, stuck in our own worldview where we rejected his authority. But Peter's logic is this. Because Christians have, and he says it in this verse, obeyed the truth, in other words, we've heard the gospel, we've responded to it, and because we've been purified by that good news into a relationship with God through Jesus, we are able to love in a new and powerful and unique way that only Christians can understand. What does that mean? Well, consider it for a second. God's love is active, not passive. Someone once said, love is a verb. In other words, love is a doing word. In other words, love cannot simply just be a a declaration. I simply cannot say to my wife, darling, I love you, and then ignore her. Love has got to be active. And then you consider the love of God, that active work of God, which is his love towards us, which he had before the beginning of time for you and I. His active love was poured out upon us even before time began. Before time, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit decided upon creating this world, decided upon creating you and me, decided in our sinfulness to act to sort it out, decided that Jesus would come to this world, decided that he would live a perfect life, decided and acted in dying on the cross and rising again. This is God's, let me use a made-up word, verbic love, his acting love, his, his not passive love. He acted in love. And let me be very, very clear. If you are a Christian here tonight, this is the love that he has poured out upon us. God doesn't just sit in a cloud with angels playing harps around him and say, I love you, bless. God's love is active and vibrant and real and powerful and beautifully costly. And it is his love that he has poured upon us. And it's his love that he grows in us by God the Holy Spirit. And that's why Paul uses that phrase, so that you have sincere love for your brothers. Because Christians are are able, because of God's initiating love, because of his acting love towards us, we are able to imitate that love towards one another. 
We are able to love robustly. We are able to love deeply. We are actually able to love sacrificially and echo the love of God towards us that exists between God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's not an emotional idea. God's love is powerful, and it unites us, and it bonds us together. Therefore, what Peter says here in verse two about, uh, 22 about the love of God is that it sets us apart as different from this world. It gives us the strength to be obedient to Christ. It's not passive, it's active. And so having experienced the love of Christ, having been given the power to love in a way that is unique to Christians, the logical question has to be, why would we want to go back to a lifestyle where that love is non-existent? It's like wanting to trade in a diamond ring for a piece of piece of plastic imitation tat. And let me be very, very honest here. When you, when you step back and look at this church and see the love that we express towards one another, then you actually begin to realize that we are able to love because God's love exists in us. So at Christianity, Christianity Explored, over the last four years, we have seen people sacrificing evenings by babysitting, by giving lifts to guests, by making cakes, by making meals, by, by just giving time and energy to people who need to know this love of God for themselves. We've, we've seen people giving time to the housebound, godly wisdom shared in love, and often difficult godly wisdom, often things we wouldn't normally say to one another, but because we love each other, we say them because it's right to. Even if it hurts one another, that's what we do because we love one another. We've seen help with hospital visits and making meals. We've seen all the help in getting the new building ready for Christmas and the opening week. We've seen time given to Bible studies, hospitality time given to younger Christians and we take these things for granted I tell you what they do not exist in our culture today and you've got to understand that this love that we have for one another is unique and does not exist anywhere else so can I encourage you to love can I encourage you to understand what that command actually means. And it's not easy. No, it's not easy. It's not easy when you're following the command to love and you have to say something difficult to someone. Because in the secular world, that wouldn't be said. But in this world, we love because the difficult things have got to be said. And we love because we sacrifice, we give each other our time, our energy, our money, our love. Christian love is by definition sacrificial because Christ's love for us was by definition sacrificial. So we give our time, our money, our energy, our space, our emotion, our contact when we least feel as though we can. Why? Because Jesus loves us and his love is in us. And God the Holy Spirit gives us strength to love more and more and more. And do you know what? Peter has confidence in this unique love of God. And confidence that his readers express that love. And that's why he says, guys, because you know the love of Christ, love. 
Because you belong to Jesus' love. And because his, power, his love is powerful and it's at work in us. We are able to love uniquely. But as well as loving each other because we are able to, Paul challenges his readers to love each other because they belong to the kingdom of God. And that's the second point this evening. Love because you belong to the kingdom of God. Look at verse 23 to 25. And this is this great, it's a great declaration. These verses are, are amazing, aren't they? For you, you have been born again. Not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all men are like grass, and their glory is like the flowers of the fields. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Peter's telling his readers to love because they belong to an eternal or imperishable kingdom, and it is way better to belong to that kingdom than anything else. And his argument goes like this, Jesus' kingdom is real and rests in our hearts. His kingdom was preached to us and God the Holy Spirit revealed it to us by his power and authority and therefore it is imperishable. This is the truth that is at work in Christians here tonight. If you know and love Jesus, you are utterly, thoroughly, totally, wonderfully imperishable. And therefore, it's illogical to want to belong to something that is fading and rotting and corrupt. Do you get it? Who wants to belong to that kingdom that is desperate for material things that you cannot take to heaven? Someone once put it like this. Why do you want to be the richest person in the graveyard? Duh! It reminds me, and, and this is, this, it reminds me of, of Dan and I last week. Last week, I have to confess, I didn't stop being very smug about the results of the rugby match between England and Rails. And poor Dan, as an England supporter, had to endure my awful smugness, grinning over the computer screen the whole of the week. But I have to, I have to face up to reality. Dan loves England because he belongs to England. And he knows that once the Wales coach, Warren Gatland, leaves the Welsh rugby setup, Wales will be half the rugby force they are now. So Dan endures my smugness and looks to the future. He doesn't give up and wear the red of Wales. No, he belongs to England. And he knows that the future is coming when English rugby will dominate once again and my smug little face will be but a distant memory. And that kind of future thinking is what Peter wants his readers to be assured of. He wants them to remember that whereas the secular culture is born out of perishable sinfulness, his readers belong to Jesus' kingdom. And their motive to love is because the word of God is a seed planted in them that is imperishable. And he wants them to immerse themselves into that knowledge that they belong to God's kingdom. Because God's kingdom is not going to perish, is it? We're not going to die and get to, to, to see Jesus and go, this is a bit tatty, isn't it? You, you've really let the place go. It's not going to happen. Because Jesus' kingdom is imperishable and growing 
and mighty and powerful and the real reality in this universe. (coughs) Peter wants his readers to understand that because we are born into that kingdom, we have a future that is exceptionally secure. And that is the heart of who we belong to. That is the heart of why they were to cherish one another. Cherish one another. Because God had planted in each of them the truth of his word. That is why he confidently challenges them in chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander of every kind. You see, just as they'd been tempted to wander into the ways of secular world around them, they had therefore begun to treat each other like the secular world around them would. Their words were changing into what they used to be like, full of malice, full of deceit, full of hypocrisy, full of envy and slander. These things had begun to creep in. Interestingly, they're communication words, aren't they? And the church was beginning to look like another social club of Asia Minor. And this is why Peter dwells on this antidote. He tells them to look to the status and the privilege of who they were in Christ Jesus. (coughs) So his argument is this, because you're born into God's kingdom, Christians are to speak and act like someone who is. We're to remember that our new birth is imperishable. It's eternal. It means that we're in God's kingdom and we must allow that mindset to mold the way we speak to each other and the way we treat each other. Consider the way that we email or text each other. (coughs) Think about Facebook comments that we make. The way we tell the truth to each other. The way we love God for what he's made us rather than envying those around us. Do you know, this truth, we belong to God's kingdom, must shape the way we communicate and say things to each other. We can say difficult things. We must say difficult things because we love each other. But we can say those things in a way that expresses love and truth. And therefore, that privilege of belonging to God's kingdom draws us towards each other, not pushes us away from one another. Because we're family, we reject the perishable way of life that we thought was normal and live out the gospel life that Christ has lavished upon us. And that behavior must be born out of the confidence that we have in the imperishable gospel. And we're to follow the logic for a, se- for a second. If God has loved us enough to save us out of a former way of life, then we must live this life confidently. 
Now listen, I know young people, you're going to head off to school tomorrow. You're going to be wearing the uniform of the school. You're going to be trotting along to school, hopefully arriving on time. And the temptation will be to completely forget about everything that has happened this week. Everything you've been taught about, everything that has been shared with you, all the prayers that you've prayed, all the songs that you've sung. You get into those school gates and suddenly, bump! it's almost as if the whole world is shut off and you're into a new, different world. How are you going to behave? What's going to happen? Well, Peter says, know, know the kingdom that you belong to. See it, live it, own the reality of it. Look around you when you get to that school. Look at the school building. Just look at it. It will perish when Jesus returns. Look at the the, the things your friends are tempting you to look at on, on on the phones. Well, don't look at them. But understand, the temptations to look at them will perish. Understand the phones themselves will be destroyed. Understand all the sinful ways that we're encouraged to enter into in that place will be gone. Know the realities that you're living in. Belong to this world that Peter's talking about. The kingdom of God and have the confidence to talk about it. Have the confidence to walk in that school as though you belong to this world. So rather than having our identities shaped by the secular world, being worried about what I look like, being concerned about what people are are, are saying about me or to me or behind my back, do you know what? I'm more concerned about Jesus and what he has to say of me. And therefore my identity must be found in this imperishable seed and the love of God. Not in things that this secular world finds valuable. So Peter tells us to love. To love because we are actually able to. Isn't that cool? It's a unique love. We are actually able to. A love that God has initiated, that God has poured out. So love. And let's be active in that love towards one another too. And let's also love because we know that God's love is imperishable. It will endure forever. His kingdom will last forever. And therefore it's worth investing our time, our energy, our drive, and to express that love as we are already doing so. And to walk this world in that love. Don't let this world shape who you are. Don't let this world drive you. And approval from this world drive you. Rather, know that you belong to God's kingdom. Know that you are loved by God's king. And therefore, love.